where Dave and I plan this year's company holidays. Let's go through the list. Easter, too religious. St. Patrick's Day? Too white. Mother's Day? Way too cisgendered. All of your usual holidays have been canceled this year. But we still have Karl Marx's birthday! Ha <laughs> Need a real reason to party? Find a new job at redballoon.work. I'm glad that in your intro you said um, how the ind indigenous are being used as political fodder. Because I think that's key to understanding this. Um, it's the condition of identity politics and what that has done both to knowledge production and to sense-making in terms of what the media can provide the public. That's really what's at issue here, and that's what, it, what has allowed such a false narrative to proliferate. Hey everybody, Michael Thiessen here, and today I have the joy to interview James Pugh. Uh, James is an independent writer, father, and entrepreneur. You can go to his Substack at Woke Watch Canada and The Turn. I've just been reading on there this morning. And uh, James, I just want to thank you for coming on the show. Uh, you have responded to a call that we made out to uh, a, a group of you historians and researchers who want to help share with Canadians the true story about what's going on and has gone on at the residential schools and the residential school conversations. Uh, we know that this is a very uh, controversial subject. We know that uh, virtually everybody is using the Indigenous people right now as political fodder in order to shut down any type of dissension of conversation. And so this is a really important uh, interview. Uh, folks, the last time I spoke about the residential schools, I said this is the most uh, controversial interview I've done yet. And so, James, you get to come and have conversation number two of the most conversa uh, controversial conversations in Canada. So thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. So, James, so much has been said about the history of Canada uh, recently. And it's our great concern that history is being rewritten. So if you would, would you kind of take us back to some of the things that you've been learning about um, the research and the investigations that have been going on concerning the residential schools? And, and particularly, you know, you know this, uh, I've been reading a little bit about the Kamloops situation. We'd really like to understand uh, more accurately what's What's going on there? Okay. Um, well, I, I'm glad that in your intro, you, you said um, how the ind Indigenous are being used as political fodder. Because I think that's key to understanding this. Um, uh, the, it's the condition of identity politics and what that has done both to knowledge production and to sense-making in terms of what the media can provide the public. That's really what's at issue here. And that's what, it, what has allowed such a false narrative to proliferate. But Kamloops, this is where it kind of began. And uh, Kamloops, it's, maybe we should make the distinction right off the top. Um, the unmarked graves that were found at Kamloops is very much different than any of the other instances of unmarked graves being so-called found or discovered at other residential schools. Because all of the other instances, those are known former cemeteries. Kamloops, though, is an apple orchard. So there's no reason there should be anyone buried there. Um, this goes back to as far back as the fifties, there were former students at that school that were telling sort of ghost stories or urban legends about there being clandestine burials of murdered, uh, indigenous students, former students in that apple orchard. Um, and then later on in the, uh, you know, decades later, it was picked up by a known conspiracy theorist, Kevin Annette, a defrocked, uh, United church minister who went to town with this, with these conspiracy theories. Uh, he actually had, he sort of exploited some indigenous people that were sort of down and out in the city streets of Vancouver that were former students. And he put it, put them on camera and made documentary films and things like that, where he had them telling implausible stories. Um, so he sort of really, um, it, he's one of the people that that's responsible for this. So, there, there was uh, those things, uh, sort of a lot of conspiracy theory and urban legend, 
But then there is also, um, oh, actually what I believe is those things got conflated into the indigenous uh, knowledge keepers oral tellings. So it's, it's said that there was a knowing that the apple orchard contained some of the missing children or some of the so-called missing children. And so that, that's why um, the ground penetrating radar was done in that area to begin with. Um, so they found some readings on ground penetrating. Go ahead. Just a question for you, James. When did the, the ground penetrating radar begin? Um, mm -hmm. with, has that been something that's been an ongoing process and then this kind of just all uh, you know, re really was reemphasized and 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 came to light, or or was um was platformed uh, back in 2021. Like, I think people have a hard time. It, it was almost like these things happened, and the next day we reported on it. Um, is that yeah. the, is that the case, or no? There there had been searches for for known cemeteries at other uh, sites because because. The, like the indigenous used a wood, wooden markers, for example, that degraded over time. And the, the sites of cemeteries, you know, buildings move, communities move, things change. So there, there are lost cemeteries all over the country. That, that's well known to, to anyone who knows about cemeteries. <laughs> that, so th that's not a problem. Um, the, the fact that uh, they did ground pen penetrating radar search in the apple orchard is a little, was a little bit odd. That's a different thing because that was sort of based on rumors, really. We could say oral tellings or indigenous, indigenous knowings, but I mean, all the other times they were searching is because it it's a legitimate search to try to find a, a lost cemetery, to try to identify you know, where unmarked graves you know, that are known. Um, but we, we always have to distinguish between legitimate lost cemeteries and unmarked graves of people who were, who were not murdered, but were, who were buried, but just their, their cemetery became lost to time. That's one thing, and a clandestine grave is a secret burial, implying someone was murdered and, and buried secretly. Those are two totally different things. And part of the confusion around this story is the media is never making that distinction. They're always almost implying, with their choice of words and language, they're always implying the clandestine, that wrongdoing has taken place. Hey friends, are you tired of having leftism rammed down your throat everywhere you turn? Like you're just exhausted where you go into a business and they want to promote leftist ideas and causes to you all day long. I know I'm tired of this. And, you know, this is why we need to have new buying habits. So why are you buying coffee from companies that hate you and your freedoms? I, I can think of the day that I stopped desiring to support Starbucks. It was two years ago. Well, look, Resistance Coffee is here for you. I was just talking to Nicole in our production studio. She really wants to drink resistance coffee, but she's not yet gone and bought resistance coffee. Well, look, you can enjoy their wonderful taste and their fresh roasted coffee, Nicole, with the knowledge that your money is not funding leftist causes. So in fact, folks, resistance coffee gives 10% of every purchase to organizations that are fighting for constitutional freedoms for Canadians. This is partly why we partnered with resistance. They have been gracious to us from day one. So resistance coffee roasts specialty grade beans, which means you're getting high end quality coffee that's roasted fresh for you. So be done with stale grocery store coffee. Uh, or uh, picking up your $4 uh, coffee cup somewhere else. Support Canadian Freedoms. Go to resistancecoffee.com backslash LCC and join the resistance today. Nicole, go out and buy it today. Stop hesitating. Go online. You can do it. Resistancecoffee.com backslash LCC. Yeah, certainly when you word it like a normal cemetery. I think of all of the churches around the country. I think of the churches in the United States where uh, they're a part of the taking care, a, a part of the part of the caretaking of uh, individuals was to be able to offer uh, to be able to offer a, uh, a funeral service and a, and a burial. It, it, it's never articulated in that sense where it, it it's care. It's, it's always an assumed you know, the, the priests and the nuns are running out in the middle of the night and burying children that nobody knows about. Um, the other thing I want to bring up, James, just as you comment on this, I, I like to draw this out for our listeners, is this is the difference 
between uh, criminal investigation in our country and maybe historic indigenous uh, ways of doing justice. The, the, the Western, the Western rigor of eyewitness accounts, evidence, cross-examination um, is not the same as knowledge keepers. Uh, and, and this actually reminds me of the, of the Me Too movement, uh, whereby, you know, for a time in North America, there was like, we believe every woman. And it, it took a lot of courage to say, wait a minute, I, I only believe honest women. I, I don't believe every woman. Um, and we have the same thing right now. We, we believe indigenous voices. Well, no, I, I don't believe every indigenous voice, nor has our criminal system ever assumed that. We're, we're human beings. We, we tell the truth at times. We lie at times. And so, again, this is where um, I would say historically there's been a clash between um, reserve justice or, or, or some of these ancient oral telling traditions that don't stand up to the, to the, to the rigor of, of a modern Western uh, criminal justice system. And so uh, that might be hard for people to hear, but when people say I have a special knowledge that I know and I can't prove and I, 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 can, um, I can allude to when I want you to stop seeking detail – uh, that's really problematic in a West, in in the Western world, and in fact, it, it's a gift. The Western law legal system is actually a gift to these um, uh, previous indigenous worldviews that would only be able to claim because you can see, like you've got in your article here, uh, that a former student, Emma Baker, admitted in an interview mm-hmm. that her and her friends made up stories about graves in the apple orchard and you and i've lived our own life to know where you walk by a cemetery and kids immediately go you know you you take a you take a person in their mid-50s who has lost a parent who is buried in that cemetery and that person's not going there getting creeped out at all they're going there as a place to remember they're going out there as a as a place to um you know maybe have some quiet time and read scripture or have a quiet time and and uh just just feel the memory and be closer to that individual uh, in, in, in the sense of just that's a place where it's marked. Um, you, you take a 13 year old and who doesn't know anybody in the cemetery and they're creeped out by it immediately. Yeah. So it's just so normal. Yeah. And, and I just wanted to draw that forward. Even as we're doing this research, none of these stories stand the test of a criminal investigation at all. Continue. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, it's like I like what you said about sort of like reserve justice and and, and you making making that distinction because that like like how we sort of started this conversation at the top. Um, the, it's a postmodern condition that we're dealing with now. That's why my Substack is called the Turn. I, I refer to it as the postmodern turn, and that's a turn in like both knowledge production and sense making in terms of how the media makes sense of events and communicates it to the public. If we are doing this relativist thing, which is what you exactly you just described, where you have to believe the survivor in the, in the Me Too movement, b- believe all women. Um, in um, the residential school situation, it's the, we have to believe the survivors. So it's rel- this is a postmodern uh, theory, relativism, where truths are relative to your positionality. <laughs> there, it's, not a, it's, a move, it's a move away from objective truth. There being a central truth that's what uh, Western enlightened rationality is based on. And this woke movement, this postmodern turn is a total rejection of that. It, it actually accuses objective truth and other methods of Western um, rationality. It, ex- it accuses them of being overtly racist because of the way society has arranged itself sort of demographically with certain groups seeming to do better than others or whatever. Um, really, this is what Thomas Sowell uh, refers to as disparity fallacy, where we look at all the differences between groups, indigenous people, black people, and we, we say that, oh, because they're, they're, this group is being incarcerated at higher levels or they're not getting university degrees at the same level, it must be due to racism. 
where it's it, that's a disparity fallacy. There's disparities. There's many reasons why we have disparities, and economic factors are are much greater than racial factors. But that's but with this um, sort of with cultural Marxism and the woke is the Marxist the neo Marxist part of wokeism. It's about foregrounding race and backgrounding um, social class and economic factors. And I really want you to move into the details of going from uh, Kevin Annette into the the Apple Orchard discoveries or non discoveries claims. But just as just as we do that, and and we finish this section of the conversation, you know, I just wanted to make the point: if we're in this relativist world, all it takes is an opportunist to turn that into authoritarianism. So. All you have mm-hmm. to do is know, and again, folks, next time you listen to a CBC debate, like next time you go into a, a university classroom and the leftist journalist frame the debate with the very first question is an indigenous people's question, or you go into the classroom and the very first thing you have to do is make a land claim declaration – Mm-hmm. That's them framing the entire thing already knowing that they're shutting yes. you up. And so it just yes. takes an opportunist to go, oh, wait a minute, I got everybody. And of course, anybody who's been on and he's been on any, you know, in any type of group on any team in any school ground, any any childish group experience. Anybody knows that if you sell something to a few people and you get them riled up about it, like it can be the most absurd you know, yes. a guy's rugby team. Let's go bite off everybody's ears. Well, okay, like I, I want to tackle the other guys. I, I want to handle them. <laughs> I want to throw the ball well. But maybe biting off their ears isn't the best thing we should do. But, we're, you know, if, if it's the cool kid who said it, if the opportunist who said it, then it's very hard for, for the the greater group to go along with it. So that's what we have. We have politicians doing this, you know, you know virtue signaling in, in order yes. to just promote the sham. And that's just really important for people to hear. You know, my land claim declaration is, is I am thankful that I stand on the earth that the Lord God created and he created Mm -hmm. men and women in his image. And we are therefore responsible to him and responsible to one another. Uh, That's going to be my land claim. And I'm not going to give any claim to anybody else. So um, I like it. We need to we we need to understand what, what they're doing when the left does these. Okay, so let's get into the details, though, James, I. My my wife will be texting me saying you have him as an interviewee, talk less, let him talk more. So, uh, what do you got? Let's go back to the specifics. Okay, so um, they do the GPR search. Uh, they get readings. Um, at first, they say it's two hundred and fifteen potential graves. Later, they reduce that to two hundred. Um, but then, and then the story blows up, it goes not just all over Canada, but like all over the world. So literally overnight, the international reputation of Canada was shattered. Um, and basically based on a, a really a false story, and it has not been retracted correctly. It hasn't been retracted in Canada. It hasn't been retracted globally. It just continues. It continues. Uh, there's a new who did like who did a, the a study story. Sorry, uh, sorry. Who did the work? Who who did the report? Who did the initial study? I, um... Oh, Doctor Sarah uh, Boulier uh, was hired to do the um, the ground penetrating radar work, and her report has never been um, released. So the academics, the researchers, have not been able to really analyze. Um, what her findings were. And one of the things that's important about her report, if it would be released, is we, we would like to know if she was aware of the history of the of that site, of the apple orchard, of the, of the different excavations historically that have taken place there. And there's been so like just, extensive construction projects. Just to hear this correctly, yeah. not only was there hearsay about the apple orchard, then the actual report that was done in the apple orchard has never been released. No, so, the only knowledge we have of it is when they discussed it in the press release it, or in the sort of the press gathering, she's on camera and they discussed it a little bit. They, they say what their findings were and they basically say the, that their readings have confirmed what they've always known that the, the children are there. 
Like it's it's outlandish. It, like it, how how could they connect ground ground penetrating radar is not a high definition technology. It, it's not able to distinguish between graves or septic tile, which is what we believe is under the ground. And because we know uh, uh, cameras is the next piece of the puzzle. I don't know if we should jump to that, but he's a uh, architectural consultant who did research on that on that site. And he found that throughout history, there's been extensive construction and excavation that has occurred in the east west bed, I believe it's called. It's the exact area where the where the unmarked graves have been said to be located. Um, we know that there's 2000 feet linear feet of trenches that were dug there and that there's drainage tile underneath there. Um, it's even dug in the east-west orientation, which is consistent with the burial pattern that that um, that, that they um, reported that they've discovered. <laughs> so most likely, that's what's there. That's a plausible explanation for the, for the GPR readings. So James, the one thing I wanted to ask you about CAMRES, because in your article you mentioned that that this is an anonymous architectural consultant, and that threw me for a loop because in the same way that I look at the, the work of um, this other doctor and that her report is not, is, has not been released. Uh, anonymous mm. to me scares me. So do, do we know who cam res is or is this an anonymous website still? And it, is the person being anonymous, you know, Anonymity is problematic when you're trying to establish credibility. So, um, mm -hmm. can you unpack that well, that's for me a little bit? Um, Cam Rez is a real person, and his his um, identity has been verified by Terry Glavin, um, the veteran Canadian journalist. Um, yes, he he has spoken to him, and he is so we can consider him Terry Glavin's source. And Terry Glavin okay. is a professional journalist; he's going to protect that source. Camrez right. is afraid of being fired. He obviously works somewhere, um, okay. probably in an architectural capacity. And if if anyone, obviously anyone, goes near this issue, I mean, the only reason I'm able to write about this issue and talk about it is I have my own business. No one's firing me. But if I right. if I worked for some for a company or something, right? I, there's no way I would be talking about this stuff. You know? Yeah. Well, and that's actually – I just wanted to get the heart of that. So what we're talking about is this is a connection between Terry Glavin and the source. It's the same way. I've interviewed nurses in the past who have come on camera and, and uh, we you know asked for a blurred face and a, and a change of, of their voice because they're, they're not willing to have their identity revealed. Uh, in, I just wanted to have our listeners have you talk through that um, mm, no so that they're not, they're not feeling a one-for-one. Some sources who fear consequential uh, repercussions, they remain anonymous, and then sometimes you just withhold information. And a public mm -hmm. report that is changing the landscape of Canadian history is the type of thing that needs to be revealed. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. So let's go back to these historical excavations. So you mentioned a number of – so this individual has researched um, and found – uh, go ahead and repeat that for everyone, just so they get to slow down and hear that fully. Oh, there is so much excavation and construction that took place in that site over a, a basically a hundred year history. I mean, this it's right beside the school. So it was the septic system for the school. At one point, the septic system was built and a bunch of uh, trenches were dug and tile was laid. And 10 years later, it, the whole system failed. It plugged up and had to be replaced and, 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 and new trenches had to be dug and a, a, a pipe that was like a different, a different system other than drainage tile was installed this time. It was kind of like a bypass pipe, but again, extensive trenching had to be dug for that. Also, even before there was a septic system, um, at some points, the residential schools were being used kind of like as industrial schools where like farming practices and things like that were, were part of the education and the kids were actually, you know, selling the food or, you know, it was like, there's, it was part of it. So uh, at one point there was irrigation ditches and irrigation trenches and systems that were also built and installed through that area. So massive amounts of things have just been dug up and installed and fixed and redug up. It's, it's a, it's ex an extensive history. And what Cam Res had was 
like site survey data and reports, like government reports that detailed exactly what construction was done. Why did these systems fail? Blah blah blah. You know, so it's it's really well researched. His 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 website. Um, I can't remember what it's called. Something about the in the apple orchard. Um, yeah, it's called Graves in the Apple Orchard. Yes. Dot uh, wordpress.com. Full of details, like uh, aerial photography of the site. Like it's it's insanely detailed. This this guy is a real architect, like a master's degree in architecture. So he's very detailed, and it's 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 pretty impressive. And but but again, what what this provides is to me, it's like we could we should just they should just dig and find out what's there. They should do an excavation, a proper investigation. But if they're not going to do that, then what the, what cameras has provided is a plausible explanation um, because the stories that Annette told and all these urban legends, they're just not plausible because they do, they do involve the murder of children, but also crazy things like waking up six-year-olds in the middle of the night to dig the clandestine graves. And that's just so outlandish. Like even a 12-year-old couldn't, couldn't really dig a hole with a shovel, you know, um, I mean, that's yeah, it, it's it, it's 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 just so easy to make up ridiculous stories and then sell them as long as you're in this um, non-critical, non-cross-examination world. Um, I've been saying to everybody, look, I'm, sh you know, we when we have these conversations, we don't deny that that there is uh, there there were abusive relationships at times in these residential schools. In the same way that we will be able to look back 50 years from now and children will be able to say, I went to an Oakville high school where um, a man dressed as a woman with huge breasts yeah. and it was vulgar and it was disgusting. And I was I was changed by it. You don't have to deny all human misdemeanor by by saying, wait a minute, there's a plausible explanation for the apple orchard that may not be uh, historical, uh, you know, these these uh, these clandestine graves as you're talking about. So again, um, I know that in your article with the tr with the True North, you 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 suggest or ask the question, you know, did Doctor Bouye know about these things? Um, it would seem it, the 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 nuance I want to go up with this is it, it almost seems criminal that such a report would not include an, a historical investigation of the surveyed land, yes. like. Can we think of another situation where, like, if I want to go get my land surveyed, I don't immediately go to the historical records? You know, yes. um, we owned a farm in the Alliston area, and all it took was a 17-minute visit to the planning department of the city to realize that, oh, right along the uh, north part of your property, that used to be a road. Uh, and you, oh, that makes a lot of sense. That's why it's high. That's why the barn's there. That's oh, and it's got, and so it allowed us to, to, to know what we could do on that part of the land because we knew it would be high, dry, and and hard. Uh, survey office, very easy. Um, yes. it, the the fact that the journalism is so negligent, like, yes. Um, I had a question for you, James. Are they letting people onto the cam loops? No. property in order to investigate no even the airspace above it is closed technically it's in been canada in canada right now the federal government is so involved that the airspace above the Kamloops site is closed i believe it still is i believe it still is but it has it has it was and i i believe it still is and you'd have to double check that fact but yeah it's it's locked down secrecy I mean, what, why not even re, uh, release her GPR report? What, what, what? That's 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 really a that's such a huge thing because, like, right, right, right there, that would tell us if she knew about that site survey information or not. Because I, if I was a betting person, I would bet she did not. There's nothing that she said publicly that gives any indication that she had any knowledge of the history of that of that apple orchard. And the the indication, I mean, I'm guessing this is all conjecture, but I'm getting from what she says, it almost seems like it, well, it seems exactly like she just believes with all her heart, those oral tellings. And this is a tragic, terrible finding that she's confirmed with her GPR technology. And I, I, I believe her that she believes this. I don't think she's, you know, 
trying to pull the wool over anyone's eyes. I think she believes this, and I think many people believe this. But then there's also other actors inside what we would call the Aboriginal industry that I don't really care. I don't think they really care about the truth or not. They, they are interested in all the processes that result from when people believe things like unmarked graves and, and cam loops, like hundreds of millions of dollars have been set aside and transferred over for searches for unmarked graves. So there is an incentive for indigenous bands or indigenous activists, the Aboriginal industry to want to proliferate searches and, 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 you know, expand this process and, and kind of at the same time they're doing it, they're like, again, they're, they're conflating the, the legitimate searches of lost cemeteries to time with murdered clandestine in, in Indian, Indian residential school students, <laughs> you know, all the stories, the Kevin Annette stuff. It's like, it's a real mess. And it's totally confused. And there's no journalist that's trying to work it out, you know? James, that's such an accurate statement, uh, particularly about the opportunism that is that that is at the center of this narrative and, and the opportunity that presents itself. Again, I just want to remind our listeners, um, the way that our government is behaving right now with special interest groups, and um, let's say right now or historically, whenever a government is no longer committed to the service of the people and to the truth, it's very easy for them to to move from beyond the natural state of pleasing your friends to uh, extortion. And so when you have our government taking taxpayer money and putting it, earmarking it to NGOs and non-government organizations, what, what inevitably what you've done is you've had a coercive-like uh, collector, and we, we, in the mob, we would call that a, you know, a, a body man or you know, an intimidation man. You've had that type of person go to the citizens and say, give me your money, whether you like it or not, and then give it away to a non-government, non-accountable organization. And so what it does is it takes Canadians' money and gives it to private individuals. And then, again, once politicians are out of politics, they can easily cash in to these organizations via jobs, via roles, via whatever type of cutback. So the whole NGO world, when the governments are involved and the governments are involved in course of behavior – is actually a form of extortion. And it's just so easy to do uh, when you have an excuse, James. Like you said, there, there, there's an excuse to now earmark so much money towards in investigating indigenous graves. And you go, well, wait, do we need the money? Who does the money go to? How is the money spent after it's been earmarked? And again, if, if people are looking closely, what you're seeing is usually this is going uh, to private non-government organizations that are not accountable for how they're spending the money. We saw this, of course, with Black Lives Matters, how the whole world just started throwing money at them and then realizing that uh, the uh, the founder of the organization went out and bought mansions uh, all around the world. So um, so there is, there is a real opportunity for deception. And uh, James, I want to bring up another article that you've written, uh, and it's called The Deception of the Aboriginal industry. And uh, that, that's really getting at the heart of what we're talking about here. Can you walk us through the article? And um, I know I know that you reference uh, from Truth Comes Reconciliation, that research group, please share. Yeah, sure. Um, well, maybe the, the best thing is to sort of define the Aboriginal industry. Who, who, is, who are these people? Um, it, the neo-tribal elites would be the indigenous people that are, that make up it. So the, the leaders, the privileged leaders, uh, people like Murray Sinclair and, uh, you know, th these people are not living on reserves. These people are living privileged lives. So they have all the power and they're, they're sort of the indigenous people. But then they're also working with a huge bureaucracy of lawyers, consultants and um, administrative types and then academia, activist academics. So anyone going anywhere near indigenous issues, anything from historians to anthropologists to uh, people like in cultural studies and all the studies, ethnic studies, this, you, you, they really have to be, in order to even get permission to study indigenous issues, you have to be working in service of the activist position. Um, this is, everything is activist driven. It's the, the Aboriginal industry really is an activist driven thing, but uh, they're sort of using the spirit of activism just to just to 
generate processes and prolong processes that 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 extract rent. It's it's a rent seeking, um, like Frances Widdowson's uh, political economist. Her um, theory is called the political economy of neo tribal renterism. That's explaining what these processes are. The Truth and Reconciliation Commission. That's a process of neo tribal renterism. It's the neo tribal elites and their cronies and their lawyers and consultants and activists bureaucracy working together under sort of activist reasons or rationale to just extract money from the government. But the thing is, indigenous reserves, many of them are super isolated and people are are suffering terribly. It's like third world conditions that should not be occurring in Canada. But the money that is extracted by the Aboriginal industry does not go to the poor people on reserves. It, it goes to privileged Indigenous people. And it's evident in things like indigenization centers that are built at universities. So the whole process of indigenization um, is a very expensive process. Massive amounts of money gets earmarked for these things. So in an indigenization center at a university, that's serving a, a, an elite privileged Indigenous person. If an Indigenous person isn't attending a Canadian university, that's not a poor person on a reserve. That's that's a privileged Indigenous person. So right away, we're not um, we're not really making distinctions here. We're just throwing money at Indigenous issues. It's whatever the Aboriginal industry wants. They sort of get. Politicians won't stand up to them. Um, that's been going on for decades since since Trudeau, um, like Pierre Pierre Elliott Trudeau. Uh, this, I'm not sure what, what more to say about that, but I mean, it's, it's, it's been, it's, it's a corrupt, um, it's a corrupt thing that's pretty much using the, the poor people on reserves to, to keep their processes going, to keep their sinecure offices going, their indigenization, uh, initiatives going because this, this is how they hire their friends, get them, get their friends and cronies and families and, um, other members of the Aboriginal industry, they get them, they get it, it's all expanding all the time. They're always coming up with new ways to expand departments or, uh, or, or just anything, any of their processes, even the Truth and Reconciliation Commission expanded all the time. Unmarked grave searches expands all the time. Uh, when you think of how big Canada is and all the potential areas where unmarked graves could possibly be, it could expand indefinitely. We've already we've already transferred over three hundred million dollars. It, it it could endlessly go to billions of dollars. There there's no end to these processes, um, and I think that's the point. You know, folks. Today in our episode, we were talking about all of the monetary incentives that people have to lie to you, and um, what we're trying to do in many situations is dig for the truth and. I want to take a moment to tell you about my friends at Rocklink Investment Partners. The team at Rocklink doesn't invest your money to satisfy a woke ESG goal or fall in line with the World Economic Forum. They invest in great businesses that will protect and grow your wealth the old-fashioned way. Get out of mainstream money and give the freedom lovers at Rocklink a call at 905 905- Six three one five four six two, and send them an email at info at rocklink with a c dot com. That's info at rocklink with a c dot com. Thanks for those comments, James. You know, one of the things I like to try to give my listeners is uh, trying to dig into the specifics of an issue. So, you know, where where you as the as a research uh, as the um, as the investigator kind of peel back forth another level of the onion. So can you think of anything more specifically within this broader, within these broader statements about this industry, about what's going on in the production of a narrative? Yeah. Um, it is very much this, this postmodern condition we live in. It is, it is very much about narrative weaving. So, um, a, a, a specific phenomenon that's very, that's recent, fairly recent, that's very interesting, is a movement of activist academics to call people like myself, um, call people like myself, a denialist. Anyone who is trying to do objective research on indigenous issues in general, but on the unmarked graves issue or on residential schools, we, uh, we are denying the, the genocide. 
So um, from the beginning, even in, if you read the reports of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, they're very um, specific in, in blaming and in saying that what happened, what occurred was a genocide. They use the word cultural genocide sometimes, but they also say right in the report that a, a, a biological genocide and a physical genocide is, it, I don't know the wording exactly, but is consistent with what occurred um, and what happened to the indigenous people. So they, they really want us to believe that. And the thing is when, and so there's all this language denialism that, that has, that evokes the Holocaust. It's, it's pretty offensive to, for, <laughs> for anyone, you know, for everyone, Jewish people, everyone to, to, to make this comparison. Um, there is no comparison. The, the Holocaust is a heaping boatload of material evidence that proves what happened there awful. Whereas with Indian residential schools, all this murder that is said to happen because if it's genocide, there must be tons of murder. We don't have any bodies. We don't have any material evidence. There, there's not even a, um, an indigenous family that's alive today that's looking for a missed one, a missed loved one that that would have went missing. Um, there are people that are looking for family members that one at one point in time they maybe attended a residential school, and the global news media and other media they try to take those people and and try to imply that oh they went missing at a residential school, but no, there's no, there's no real material evidence because the, the children that went to residential schools were like, they were documented. They all had student numbers. Um, there are records out there. Um, one of the points that I, that I make, I think it's actually not, it's not in my uh, article, but it's in the, the comment section. There was a pretty good comment, a conversation that took place on the deception of the Aboriginal industry one where um, there that Jaime Rubenstein points out that for the first time, there's this claim being made that by the National Center for Truth and Reconciliation Commission, that there are hundreds or thousands of, of former rel of relatives that are looking for kids that went missing from the schools. But they're not really distinguishing someone who maybe attended a school, maybe for a couple months, maybe for a year, two years, and then at some point later in their life went missing or were murdered or, or died for some reason, they're not making those distinctions. What, what they're really trying to do is anyone who ever attended a residential school and, and something happened to them in their life, they're trying to somehow align the blame with the residential school. So James, you know, this word genocide has been coming up. Um, I want to kind of qualify mm -hmm. that with a, a statement and then a question. Um, when they make the accusation that it's a cultural genocide, uh, that would be like me making the statement, the Western standards of law are better than uh, truth knowers or knowledge keepers. And therefore, my statement would want to have a Western criminal system mm -hmm. rather than an, an Aboriginal uh, criminal system. And that would then make me someone who would want to destroy that structure of justice and therefore a cultural participant in a, a, a cultural holocaust. Now, whether you're comfortable with it or not, I am comfortable with it saying, yes, I, I – I would like for some cultural worldview issues that are propagated on uh, having some people be able to, to have a, 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 a knowledge that is only for themselves, that they don't have to share with anybody else, but yet can, it, can Im, uh, impute upon people um, judicial decisions. I, I, uh, I would be guilty of saying, yes, yeah, some uh, cultural statements – some um, historical developments, a, you know, a Western Christian view of law is a, a better view of law than um, someone who just wants to be able to say, hey, I know because I know and you can't question me, which, which, which can follow into this hearsay, this, this, this truth keepers, um, ab Aboriginal way of life. So the oral traditions yeah. of storytelling and therefore things that might be legally binding in that situation, I would criticize. So that's, that's one conversation to have. Am I being uh, a participant in a cultural holocaust when I am saying 
this culture is better than this culture. This way of life is better than this way of life. These true statements are actually true. These true statements are actually false. But you've jumped on to the idea that what they've really just tried to do is uh, a subtle uh, bait and switch, uh, a, a, a subtle um, uh, jamming whereby you just associate cultural um, uh, a, a cultural holocaust with an actual holocaust. And it, it seems like they're saying both. So I, I'm just willing to say, hey, look, if you want to talk about worldview battles, let's go to it and let's just talk about which worldview is better. I'm okay with that. But they're, it's, but they're actually doing both, you're saying, and not just saying it's a cultural holocaust. They're actually trying to promote uh, an actual holocaust. Yeah, I, I, I think that's the intention. Um, cultural genocide is not a real thing. That's, that's an extra legal term. And you described it perfectly. Like you, what you described is a natural process of like assimil assimilations when groups of people migrate together. You know, one the the larger group, you know, sort of the smaller group takes on the characteristics often of the smaller group, and they enculturate, they assimilate. That's been happening since the dawn of man. There's there's nothing uh, odd about that. Um, but what the what the sort of postmodern relativism relativism in the indigenous thing does is oh man this goes so deep we we have to if we were to believe the post-colonial theory and and all of this indigenization and decolonization all of this this whole postmodern framework of, of looking at history this weird way this critical way critical theory way we have to believe that when the explorers first made contact, when they arrived in Canada, that they encountered indigenous people who were equally as sophisticated, but just with a different set of ways, ways of being, ways of knowing, ways of everything, just different, but equally as sophisticated, equally as advanced. And that, there's, that that's not true. That That is what Hybe um, Rubenstein has called the soft bigotry of low expectations, where you sort of exaggerate their, 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 like they, when we, when we encountered the indigenous, they were primitive hunter gatherers. There's no denying that they were not an advanced society. They did not have writing. They did not have numbers. There's no science. There's no indigenous astronomy, no matter how many universities across Canada are going to try to have indigenous astronomy courses. There is no such thing. You, you know what I'm saying? So, um, that is no, I do know what you, most of this comes back to the to the protection and the development of Christian law, where whereby reading and writing becomes a, a a benefit of the citizen to be able to have proper arbitration in the courts and and all, and all of these things and and so this idea that that we came and found the noble savage uh, in the sense of number one, I don't believe any person outside of uh, being uh, taught the moral restraints of God is actually noble. And then second of all, the idea that it was this par, like you just said, uh, is, ab is absurd. You know, uh, in our area of Ontario, the Six Nations, uh, you just look at their history. They, they had some of the most violent yes. history uh, in North America and wife sharing and all of this type of things that people just people just lie about now yes. and ignore and it was very much that that's Western culture developed on the bedrock of Christian law, Christian morals yes. that put both governments and individuals uh, in in rest, you know restricted behavior mode. Yeah. Uh, and and so what I'm trying to get at the nuance of this conversation is because we came upon them is not again a racial statement. It is saying that their worldview that they had developed was not sufficient in order to make them sophisticated as the Western worldview. And so when you're criticizing someone's worldview, you're not criticizing their ethnic makeup. Yeah. You're criticizing their worldview. And that's a conversation that we have to keep having. But that's why this is not as racial as people want to make. It's cultural. So I, I would say I put it on a continuum of cultural development, whereas the indigenous were in a, a, a primitive hunter-gatherer stage of development, 
and the, the explorers were an advanced, you know, modern stage. So that's what's so unique about the Canadian situation is that's the first time in history, the only time in history where such an advanced society came across a primitive one where the gap in that cultural development was so huge. And really, that's what we're dealing with today. That's what Indigenous issues are to this day. It's still dealing with that gap, being real about it. If we, if we can't be real about what, that, that that gap exists, we're, 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 we're guilty of a starting point fallacy. And unless we can get over that and be real about things, we can never really be able to address the problems correctly and deal with the, with the cultural development gap. Well, James, this has been a great discussion. Everybody, you need to know how much how, how much of these things is reduced back to honesty or lying and investigation or ignorance. And so you can do your research. You can uh, you can know what's true what truly historically happened, what's going on culturally right now. And then you can have a voice that speaks about these things, uh, the, the, a major ingredient to that is courage. And so James, I, I just think it's courageous of you to come on. I'm so thankful for you to be speaking to us. Uh, James, can you share with our listeners one last time where they can find your research and uh, get in touch with you? Sure. Well, I, I'm the editor and I also write a lot for Woke Watch Canada. That's a Substack. So wokewatchcanada.substack.com. And then my own Substack is just jamespugh.substack.com. It's the turn. And then other than that, I do a lot of writing for True North and the Western Standard, Frontier Center for Public Policy, Dorchester Review, maybe something coming out in C2C journal soon. Um, just regular Canadian journals and, and conservative media because the left wing media won't won't publish anything I write. So that's where you'll find me. <laughs> that's great. Uh, the the It's just so funny. Uh, I first interviewed Barbara Kay and she said, have you ever heard of Substacks? And <laughs> And it's like, you mean like people who have been posting their work online? Like uh, uh, it's this new, yeah. it's this new, like, is it just a format of the websites that makes it a Substack versus a blog? I, I think that's the case, right? Or the, is it the standard of writing? Uh, yeah, no. It's... Either way, folks, if you don't know what a Substack is, James has got one. Go look at it. <laughs> and it, and it looks an awful like what we used to call blogs. Very much so, so yeah. uh, or art. Yeah. So, uh, but look at James, this has been a great conversation. Folks um, go do your own research. Don't be bullied around. Uh, we really do need to return to um, civil discourse. And, and, and even on this very sensitive issue, uh, it's about having good, accurate discourse for our way forward. Thanks for coming on, James, and everybody keep listening. Share this video. If you've got some friends who are really confused about the residential school situation, share this video and our, our, our other videos. And we just thank you for listening. Everybody, Godspeed. Godspeed.